You're listening to messages from Cuyahoga Valley Church in Brunswick, Ohio. If you're looking for more resources or want to get in touch, head to our website at www.cvcbrunswick.org. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your day and help you experience new life in Christ. Good morning. My name is Michelle Winchell, and I'll be reading Ruth chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw that she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness was not forsaken, the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with with his young women, lest in another field you would be assaulted. 
So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Well, good morning. My name is Josh, and I'm the campus pastor. Great to see you this morning. We're continuing in our series in the book of Ruth, and I have this question I want to pose to you. Do you have everything you need in life? You know, I think every season of our lives, this question comes up in our hearts, in our minds, and in our circumstances. We begin to ask ourselves, especially when we're entering into a new season of life, will I have what I need? Some of you students, you're going from, co- from high school to college. Will I have what I need in my friends? Will I be able to cut it in my college classes? Maybe you're a young professional and you're, be- you're beginning to ask, will I have the job that I need? Will I be able to meet the person that I need to meet? Maybe you've got young family or you want to have a young family and you are asking the question, Will I be able to have kids? And maybe you have kids. You're like, what do I do with these kids? <laughs> How am I going to pay for these kids? You know, maybe you're an established family. And you're, you're asking the, the question, do I have what I need to sustain this pace of life? Do I have what I need to help my parents as they age and as they die? Maybe your retirement age, you begin to ask the question, do I have the money I need? To retire? Can I even retire? Maybe you're later in life. You're asking the question, will my help hold up? Will I be able to live the last season of my life in dignity? See, every season of life presents unique challenges and fears about that question. Will I have what I need? Well, today we're going to talk about that question. We're going to talk about God's provision in our lives. And we're going to continue on our series in the book of Ruth. We're going to look at chapter 2 today. And let me kind of use these um, objects to get us caught up to speed for where we're at. So we are introduced at the beginning of Ruth, this family led by a na- man named Elimelech. Elimelech had two sons, Malon and Kilion, and he had a wife named Naomi. Malon and Kilion married two women from Moab. See, these uh, Elimelech's family traveled from Judea and Bethlehem across the Jordan into the area of Moab due to a famine. Now, the Bible tells uh, the nation of Israel, you can for a season leave the promised land, but you must always have a heart to return. Well, the Bible tells us that this family was gone well over 10 years. And what happened is the dad and the two sons, they died. So it left Naomi and Ruth, and then the other mother-in-law stayed in Moab. So what we see after, at the end of chapter 1, is this woman, Naomi, who has become bitter against God. This is a bitter herb. And Naomi, which means pleasant, uh, she enters into her hometown. She leaves Moab, goes back into Bethlehem, and everyone's like, is that Naomi? And she goes, no, no, no. Don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. So here we have a bitter older woman accompanied by a Moabite foreign daughter-in-law. And they enter into Bethlehem destitute and desperate. You see, 
In this period of history, if you had no husband and you had no sons, you were in an extremely, extremely difficult situation. And the question on the mind and the heart of Ruth and Naomi is this. How will we have what we need? How can we possibly have not just the material uh, needs, but our relational needs met, our emotional needs met, our spiritual needs met? We are destitute. I have a question for you. Where do you go when you feel desperate? Where do you go when you feel like your needs might not be met? Well, I think that's a good question for us. Because even though this story is a great distance from us historically, that question, will I have what I need, is something we all deal with every season of life. Now, you might be asking, why is this a snack that you guys have given us for uh, this message? Is it going to be extra long today, Pastor? This is barley. So open up your bag of barley here. And now, you might have cooked with barley. Um, you know, you maybe made a soup out of barley. That's about the extent of my barley usage. I want you to take a little bit of the barley out. Put it in your hand. And then a little bit will fall out. That's okay. Well, you know, we'll... We'll apologize to Ron later. This in your hand, in Ruth and Naomi's day, represented everything that was valuable. See, if you had barley, you had food, right? You could, you could live. Not only that, if you had barley, you had a means to exchange goods, to purchase oil, to purchase wine. You see, in that day, one of the most shameful things is a, a, a family who was very, very skinny, right? Today, that's what everybody wants, right? Back in the day, it was shameful to be too skinny because it shows that the man, or that, that the man couldn't provide well for his family. Or that if you were a woman who was skinny, people assumed, oh, this woman doesn't have a man in her life to provide for her. This also represents stability. After the harvest, you would have big vats of barley. You could say, okay, we can get through the winter. We can get through the seed planting season because we have this much uh, uh, barley. See, in our culture, all of our needs are f- so spread out. But in Ruth and Naomi's day, this was everything. This was physical, emotional, relational stability. So we're going to use this later in the message to think through, to better understand about our own lives, what we cling to for provision. What we go to uh, when we are asking that question, will we have what we need? Okay, well before we jump in, I'm going to pray for us, and then we uh, will uh, look at Ruth chapter 2. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we commit this time to you. Lord, would you show us through your word what you'd have us do? Would you convict us? Would you lead us? Would you change us? Lord, we invite your Holy Spirit to work inside each one of our hearts, Lord. And for those here who are going through a new season, from maybe high school to college, college to working life, maybe maybe engaged to married, married back to single, maybe health issues, maybe a loss of a, a parent. Lord, would you give those people, give me a better sense that you will provide 
you will give us exactly what we need. Not meagerly, but abundantly, as we see in this story. So help us, Lord, to experience that in a greater sense, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here's Naomi and Ruth. They return from Moab to Bethlehem. They are desperate. They are destitute. Naomi is bitter. Ruth had been married for 10 years, no children, so she's apparently barren. They both are vulnerable physically, economically, and twice in this chapter, uh, Naomi recognizes that Ruth is vulnerable to sexual assault. What will they do? Where will they get food? Where will they get protection? Where will they get hope? And as Michelle read earlier, their plan is to glean. What is gleaning? Well, in order to understand gleaning, we have to understand the ancient practice of harvest. So I've got some wheat stalks here. So in the Bible, God laid out the nation of Israel and apportioned it into 12 sections. And every section was given to one of the tribes of Israel. And they were to cultivate that area to produce uh, food for their family and for the surrounding community. This scene plays out in the land of Judah, specifically in this town of Bethlehem. Bethlehem in Hebrew, Bethlehem, house of bread, was very rich for the cultivation of barley and of wheat. And we see they enter into Bethlehem during the time of the harvest. What is the harvest? The harvest was broken up into two uh, movements, two aspects of the harvest. So we have a field, all the grain, the barley, and the wheat would grow up. And when it was harvest time, there was reaping and there was threshing. Reaping is this. The men would come out and a uh, man's field, they would come out and they would grab a handful of the stalks and they would take a knife and cut it at the bottom. And then they keep going. They grab a handful of knife and they cut it at the bottom. And eventually they'd have such a big uh, armful of stalks, they would put the stalks on the ground. And then women would come behind, take the stalks, tie them up, and that became a sheave, a sheaf, <laughs> singular sheaf, plural sheaves. And then they would put the sheaves back down and they would continue. That is the reaping. So what, what happened after the reaping at the end of the day? All the sheaves would be brought to a cart, or maybe they would carry it by hand, to be threshed. Threshed is where they would take the stalks, they would crush it, they'd step on it, they'd roll it over with boards, and then they would throw it into the air so that the chaff would flow, uh, float away, and then the, the grain would fall to the ground. Now the threshing happened after all the reaping was done. So that's the practice. Harvest included reaping and threshing. Reaping would happen first. Threshing would happen after the reaping was done. Okay, well, what is gleaning? Gleaning is the Old Testament practice that God put into his law, his Old Testament law in Leviticus 19 and Deuteronomy 24. Look with me on the screen. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edges, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvests. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner, I and the Lord your God. 
And then Deuteronomy 24, 19, it says, When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to it. It shall be for the sojourner and the fatherless and the widow that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. So what God did is he established a law in ancient Israel that you, if you owned a field, were not uh, allowed to reap at the edges. You had to leave an edge area unreaped so that the poor, the widow, the sojourner, people from other countries could come and gather around your field. And they could gather food for themselves. Not only that, you'll see, you might be able to see, there's a few little bits that I did not pick up. These, which are left, were not to be picked up by the workers. Well, what was uh, the, the law was that sojourners, the poor, would come and pick up little bits here and there of the uh, pieces that had fallen, and this would be for the poor. Gleaning was embarrassing. Anyone who was not in the field but on the edges, everyone knew they're poor, they are foreigners, they are weak, they are destitute. Not only that, gleaning was just eking by. You know, it reminded me, I went to high school in California, and when you would buy, when I was uh, living in California, you'd buy like a can of Coke or a, or a bottle of water, they would charge you a nickel. The state would charge you a nickel, so you'd have to keep that can and then return it back to a recycling center, and they'd give you your nickel back. And everyone knew, or everyone saw on a regular basis, folks pushing golf carts filled with bottles and cans that they would be taking to the recycle center. These are folks who were destitute, homeless, poor. This was Ruth and Naomi's plan to eke out an existence. This was how they had planned to live their life. A life of scarcity, a life of lack, a life without the pleasures that we all desire. But that scarcity is not God's plan. What you, we see through the rest of this chapter is that God provided for Ruth and Naomi through many different means many different ways, and to an abundant end. God provided for Ruth and Naomi through many different ways, but it was to an abundant end. And that's the principle we see throughout the Bible for those who know and love Jesus. Jesus did not promise that we would be without hardship. Rather, he promised we would have hardship. But he promised that the end of it at the end, we would live abundantly. We would have an abundance, whether in this life or in the life to come. So what I want to do is I want to look at the rest of this story and point out five truths in how God provides. Let's look at the first truth. In this story, we're introduced to a man named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi. And the Bible calls him a worthy man, a man of both uh, esteem and financial resource. This is something very rare during the time of the judges that we find the story um, of, Ruth and Boa, of Ruth and Naomi. 
Look with me at Ruth chapter 2, starting in verse 3. It says, So she, that's Ruth, set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. She happened. So in the original Hebrew language, this is two words combined, the to happen in by accident or chance. Basically, the original language was she just happened by accident to be in this field and meet the Boaz. Okay. Every commentator on the book of Ruth notes that this is a form of reverse hyperbole. It's a way of saying something that illustrates the actual opposite thing. You think about this, this was meant to be read in a group out loud. You know, people didn't have their own copies of Ruth. So and imagine when the reader would read that, and she sent out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened, right? Everyone, like, everyone in the, upon hearing would go, oh yeah, she happened, right? <laughs> because there is no, it just so happened in God's world. God did not spin the top and walk away. No, no, he guides his creation toward the end with which he designed. This is the Christian doctrine of providence. Millard Erickson, a Christian theologian, uh, defines providence this way. It's the continuing action of God by which he preserves in existence the creation he has brought into being and guides it to his intended purposes for it. There is no such thing as it just so happened in God's world. The things that have happened to you, you happen to get this job. You happen to meet this person. You and your future spouse just happen to be at the same restaurant at the same time. You happen to live in the neighborhood you do. You happen to get a promotion or be laid off. All of these are actually God's good and loving hand in your life. Because truth number one says... God provides for you, for me, through circumstance. God provides through circumstance, which is actually his loving hand to lead and to guide you. So our response to this first truth is we need to thank God for the circumstances in our lives. We need to look at the circumstances in our lives, not rather as um, good or bad, but rather is ways that God is working in my life. Opportunities that God has given us to grow in Christ-likeness. So truth number one, God provides through circumstances. So here we see Boaz. He comes to his field and he notices a woman who is not part of his female staff and he doesn't recognize. And Boaz's workers say that she's a Moabite widow and sojourner. Now it's important to remember that God designed ancient Israel to be what he called a city on a hill, a light to the surrounding nations of how a nation should be. Like maybe you've read through the Bible and you got to like Leviticus and Deuteronomy and you're like, why am I reading about some laws or some like like, if one ox gores another ox, the ox owner has to, like, pay the other ox. Like, like, like do I—can I just kind of skip through the Bible? Like, why are those in there? You know, you 
still have a field and then you burn the field on accident. But why is that in the Bible? Why are all these, like, it's like HOA rules, like they're in the Bible. Why is that? The reason is that God intended the nation of Israel to be such a just and good society that all the other nations, Moab, the Hittites, the Amorites, they would all look at Israel and go, I don't know what God they serve, but the Israelites, they have a good society. They have a just society where people's needs are met and people can flourish economically, personally, relationally. You see, God provided for Ruth and Naomi through a just society. You see, when Ruth and Naomi were in Moab, there were no laws to protect widows, certainly not foreign widows. So part of the reason Naomi and Ruth went back to Bethlehem because they knew, okay, Israel has a means by which widows and sojourners can survive. You see, God provides through just societies. Societies set up in a way to meet people's needs. The old, you know, it's interesting that this Old Testament harvest law, right? You, you, you own a field, but you can't reap all the way to the edges. And if you drop something or forget something, you can't go back and get it because that's all for the poor people. You know, that law doesn't map super cleanly on our 21st century political uh, alignment, right? Like if you're a social conservative and you hear these Old Testament laws about how poor people can go and glean and work to eke out a living, you might say, hey, hey, look, here's an economic system where nobody gets a free ride, right? But if you're a social progressive, a political progressive, you say, look, look at this great social safety net. But the reality is the gospel and the Old Testament ethics cuts across our 21st century political spectrum. What God's interested in is a just society, a good society where the weak and the marginalized can have their needs met and at the same time diligence is rewarded. See, you and I, we as believers, if you're a follower of Christ, we should value and promote leaders who are just who are honest, who, are, who will assess not only what's good for them, but what's good for others. And that's the way we should think about our political engagement as well. Not thinking of our own interests, but having the interests of others in view as well. So truth number two is God provides for a just society. All right, well, let's keep going. Next, God provides for Ruth and Naomi through the generosity of, of Boaz. So here's Boaz. He allows Ruth to glean, and then we also see that he gives Ruth food for lunch, which is no small gift. He says she ate till she was satisfied and had some left over. And then we see this great generosity from Boaz. Look with me at verse 15. Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not Reproach her and also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. All right, what's going on here? Think back to the practice of reaping. So here we are. You're a man. You're cutting the reap. You're, you're cutting the, the grain. And then you, it gets so big 
and then you drop it down. The women come up, they get the sheave, they tie it up, and then they leave it there, tied up, and at the end of the day, you gather the sheaves and take them away. What Boaz is saying, which was outside the law, it's a measure of generosity, let her glean in between the sheaves. You see, in between the sheaves, there's extra grain that falls. Because what happens? You would just kind of pick up the sheaves and pick up everything around. Well, Boaz is saying, hey, let her glean in between the sheaves. That's an act of generosity. And not only that, look back at verse 16. And also, pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So not only that, Boaz is telling his workers to go like, kind of go, you know, whoops. You know, and, and oh, can't pick that up. He's, this, is a, this is generosity upon generosity. And because of the generosity of Boaz, Ruth brought home an ephah of barley. Can you believe that? How, how much is an ephah? Okay. 30 pounds. 30 pounds of barley. In ancient Mesopotamian writings tell us that during this day, the average age of a male worker in the fields, a hired male, was one pound a day. So what God did through Boaz was he provided Ruth a female gleaner with a month of wages of Boaz's best guy in the field. Question for you. Was Ruth provided for by God or by Boaz? Yes, <laughs> right? God provided for Ruth through Boaz. God provided for Ruth and Naomi through the generosity of Boaz. Did you know that your generosity through the ministry of this church helps to support the poor, for families going, growing through adoption, for the homeless, widows, women being trafficked, the suicidal, for unborn babies, at-risk youth, refugees, and prisoners. That's just the ministries that we specifically support through our Big Ten ministries. You see, part of the challenge that I have and that Pastor Chad has, our lead pastor, is articulating and really making it clear how much you do for the poor and the needy in the community. So back in the day with Ruth and Boaz, you know, if you were uh, a uh, faithful God follower, you would bring a tenth of your grain, of your barley, to the temple. And you, you drop it off. And then the poor people would come and you would probably be responsible for distributing out to the poor what God out of his abundance has given you. See, in our modern technology, we kind of like give through the app or give online. There's like pixels that go somewhere into a bank somewhere and transfer. And you don't get the privilege that I get of seeing families in need seeing families at the cusp of breakdown, seeing refugees resettled, seeing the great and amazing good you do in Brunswick, Strongsville, Medina, and Northeast Ohio through your generosity. 
So that's one thing that I was convicted about. Like, man, how can I better communicate to our congregation the wonderful things you do through your generosity? Because the way God has designed his world is he provides for people through people. God provides for people through people. So I just want to say thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your faithful giving to the church and to the ministry. You know, we have, we're, I think, week 10 or 11 in our campus. And we have a, a budget line set up that we're hoping to, re, to hit so that we can kind of pay for our own, pay our own way. And the Broadview Heights campus doesn't have to, like, subsidize us. And I'll say, we're above budget. Your generosity is actually exceeding where we're at. So we just want to say thank you so much. Thank you so much for that. You know, God provides through generous people. So our response to truth number three is this. We should give generously and joyfully. There was no indication that you had to like peel Boaz's fingers off of every grain of barley. No, he was a generous and a joyful giver. And we, we should be that way. When you give generously and joyfully, you get to be Boaz in someone's story. All right, well, let's continue on. God provided for Ruth, but I think it's important to note she was not home watching YouTube or Judge Judy all day, okay? Verse 7 said that she worked all day except for a short break. Verse 17 says that Ruth, after all the reaping was done, remember, the reaping would happen, but the threshing, the crushing and then the throwing up of the chaff and the gathering of the seeds, that would not be done till the end of the harvest. But the Bible says in verse 17, after everybody went home, Ruth went and crushed up and did the threshing that day. So Ruth was an extremely industrious and hard-working woman. And that's why truth number four from this story is that God provides through our diligence. We must trust God completely and fully for provision, but God wants us to work hard in what he has put before us. Colossians 3, 23 through 24 says this, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Now, I want to speak to students just for a minute. So some students here, students in the back. Some of you guys, you're just naturally smart. You don't have to study for a quiz. You don't have to read the textbook. You just naturally, you're just like running on all cylinders. And some of you aren't, right? Some of you, schooling is tough. You really got to work hard. And I want to tell you, God is less concerned about your GPA and more concerned if whatever God's given you, that you work hard in it. You see, maybe you can graduate in your eighth grade class and you get a 4.0. You know, uh, that's great. You should strive for that. But what God really wants for you is that you use your time and your mind and work hard. Because what that does, it develops a character in you that you will bring throughout your life. What we know, what we don't, What's not specific in the text, but we can read real thick between the lines, is that Boaz, he worked hard. He got to the place he was, and he was able to be generous because 
he was a hard worker. And he had the, he had a man of both means and of character. That's my hope for you students, that you guys would strive and use your mind to do the best you can. Don't just, just, don't just skip by it because you can. Work hard because you should, and that's what God calls you. All right, well, truth number five. Let's keep going. So here's Ruth. She returns home from a long day of work, but obviously God's provided for her richly. Look with me, verse 19. And her mother-in-law said to her, after you know, carrying home 30 pounds of barley and extra roasted barley from lunch, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you, girlfriend, because this is not of your own working. Right? And I don't know. Maybe, maybe, at the, maybe Ruth, at the end of the day, was expecting a pound, half a pound, maybe a handful. And here's Ruth kind of like stumbling. You know, I don't know if it's in her like dress or I don't know how it worked. Maybe she borrowed a bag. 30 pounds of barley. And she goes, obviously, someone took notice of you. This is far abundant than we could possibly think or imagine. And this is a picture of what God does to us through Jesus Christ. Look again at these verses. Look at verse uh, 20. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness, I'm going to explain that word in a minute, has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close, close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. I want you to notice two things. Naomi Bitter, Naomi, call me Mara because I'm bitter. The abundant grace of God turned her bitter heart into a sweet heart, into a thankful heart. And I know there are folks in this room right now who are going through really hard situations. There's a really hard situation in my own life. But will we look at our own circumstances and become embittered? Or will we look at the abundance of God and allow our bitterness to change? Because no matter how you look at your life, there will be challenge. Jesus promised a lot of things. One of them is difficulty. But God is a God who provides abundantly for us. Because he sent us his son, Jesus Christ. You see, Naomi uses a really important word here. It's this word kindness. Now, when you think of kindness, I think of like maybe someone holding the door for you if you have a bag full, you know, armful of groceries. No, no. This is the Hebrew word chesed. This is loving kindness. This is a type of kindness far deeper than we deserve, far wider than we can imagine, far higher than we deserve, and will stick with us no matter what. It is the kind of kindness we receive from, from God. Naomi is getting it. She, it it's it's re-clicking back in her mind that God is such a God of abundance, 
that he has poured out his kindness upon Naomi and Ruth through 30 pounds of barley. But they didn't have the full picture. You see, a few verses later, they talk about a redeemer. Boaz, he's a redeemer. Maybe Maybe he'll marry you, Ruth, and maybe we'll live a life where we don't have to pick up seeds and we could have a life of prestige. We have new clothes. We'll have a full belly and maybe we'll have a baby. But God did something far greater. He gave us his son, Jesus, as the redeemer, as the loving kindness, as an abundant gift for us. You see, truth number five is God provides through his chesed, through his loving kindness kindness and he's done that to us for us in our place through jesus christ and i think each one of us can kind of imagine okay god if if you could change this or change that if you could change this or change that man that would really show me your love for me but if i can imagine god saying i've given you jesus I've given you something far greater than you can believe. Look, if you want more money, you can spend it up and it'll be gone. If you want a, a more attractive body, it'll one day grow old. If you want obedient kids, the best case scenario is they move away. But God has given us, uh oh, God has given us something that will never leave, never end, never dry up, never go away. And that's his son. It is far beyond a gift, far beyond we can imagine or believe. But we got to let it go from here to here. We got to realize, okay, yes, you've done this for me. We got to experience it. And that's what I want to do in the next few months. I want to invite the team up. And I want you to grab your bag of barley. You see, in this context, in Ruth and Naomi, barley represented everything. It represented finances. It re represented provision. It represented social esteem. It represented uh, stability. It represented a future and a hope. It was all tied up in this stuff. And I want you to hold... The reason I, I, I put these in these little <laughs> Ziploc bags is that I want us in a moment to go to God in prayer and whatever this is for you, whatever you go to for assurance, for provision, if I have this, then I'm okay. Whatever it is, I want you to imagine it right here in your hand. You see, it's easy for us to look at Ruth and Naomi and go, it's just barley. <laughs> but what is all these other things that we cling on to? It's something that will leave us or forsake us, but only Jesus will, keep, will stick by closer than a brother. So in a moment, I'm going to ask us, I'm going to ask you to pray. I'm going to have three prayers that I'm going to encourage you to pray, and then you're going to fill in the blank at the end. In a moment, I'm going to have us bow our heads and our close our eyes and pray this prayer. We're going to say, God, in our own hearts, in our own minds, God, I thank you that you provided abundantly for me through and I want you to put a person's name in there. God, I thank you that you provided abundantly for me through a friend, a parent, a coach, a spouse, a boss, whatever it is. I'll give you time to thank God for that person. Next, I'm going to say, I'm going to ask you to pray, God, I thank you that you provided abundantly for me through, I want you to put a circumstance there. 
I happen, I just so happen to be here. I just so happen to meet this person. These people just so happen to meet, and it's produced wonderfully, wonderful blessings for me. You know, I'd be a circumstance. And then thirdly, I want to say, God, I thank you that you provided abundantly for me through Jesus Christ. And I just want us together to thank God for the abundant gift of his son, Jesus. And maybe you're here and you've never experienced an encounter with God through Jesus. And I would invite you, let this be the time that you recognize that God's given you an abundant gift through Jesus Christ. You put your faith in him and just say, God, thank you for Jesus and his forgiveness. And you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. You believe in your heart, you will be saved. So I'd like everyone to bow your eye, or close your eyes, bow your heads. And in your own mind, in your own heart, I want you to pray this prayer. And at the end of it, I want you to put in a person's name. I just want you to pray, God, I thank you that you provided abundantly for me through in a person's name. Next, I want you to pray, God, I thank you that you provided abundantly for me through and put in a circumstance. Next, God, I thank you you provided abundantly for me through Jesus Christ. Just use this time to thank God for Jesus. And if you don't know him, put your heart, put your trust, put your faith in him right now. Heavenly Father, Lord, forgive us. <laughs> forgive us when we cling on to things that are so fleeting instead of clinging wholly on to you. Forgive me when I do that. Forgive me when my attitudes, my, my disposition is cranky and dissatisfied. Forgive me. Forgive us. We don't look to you. We look to our circumstances. Lord, thank you for those people you've brought into our lives to encourage us, to guide us, to speak a, a, a better word into our lives, to lead us to Christ. To speak truth into us, Lord. Thank you for those people. And Lord, thank you for Jesus. The abundant gift, far greater than we could possibly hope or imagine. Lord, I pray that we will be a people that lives this out. And we will be like Israel was supposed to be. A city on a hill where people will look at us and go, I don't know about that, I don't know about Lauren, I don't know about Bill. Whatever's going on in their life, they got what I want. May we be a light for you. So Lord, in all things, we love you. Thank you, thank you so much for who you are, everything you've done. Lord, I mean, you're, you are, you're our redeemer. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening, friends. If you want to talk about anything that you've heard today, don't hesitate to reach out. You can find contact information and further teaching series on our website at www.cvcbrunswick.org.